What's up, guys? It's Ace Coleman, and today I have Chris Hacker on. Chris is from Van Buren, Arkansas. Yeah, that's correct. Cool. And uh, he shoots 3D indoor archery, and uh, he's actually a property um, broker as well. So, Chris, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Man, I've been shooting professional archery, I guess, since 2005. It was my rookie year. I um, started off with the Hoyt that year and, you know, shooting a Hoyt now. I'm an avid bow hunter. I've been hunting since I was a kid. Basically had a bow in my hand, I think, since I was about four. I can remember my parents bought me my first bow when I was a little kid. Got a picture of me, that little red bear, you know, pulled back. And I was flinging arrows there for several years before I had any clue to what I was actually doing. Um, grew up here in Van Buren, you know, graduated Van Buren High School and shot archery through high school. That's when I got introduced to, back then it was the Cabela's, you know, 3D circuit was the first national tournaments that I had shot. And then got introduced to ASA there in the year 2000. And you know, the rest is kind of history on that front. Um, we've got a wife, two kids, uh, one daughter in nursing school, one daughter in, you know, second grade. And my wife, she's, you know, into archery, but more into bow hunting than she is, you know, shooting a bow. She would if she had more time, probably. But when you have kids, man, it, that, that takes up a, a lot of time. Um, I also work uh, as a manager, you know, here in Fort Smith at a, one of the bigger sporting goods stores, uh, Jelco Outdoors, um, big Hoyt dealer, big Matthews dealer, kind of full line, you know, sporting goods. And then also working with Mossy Oak Properties, you know, turning real estate and building that business as well as shooting professional archery. So plate plate's plenty full. Yeah. So um, who were some of your mentors when you first got into archery? And when I first got into archery, um, you know, I'd give credit or to my dad for one, for introducing me into it. Um, he's the one that got me into it years ago for bow hunting. And then we stumbled upon the local archery shop over here in Van Buren back up around 96 or 97, a place called Turkey Creek Outfitters. They had a 20 yard indoor range and that's kind of where I got introduced into, you know, compound target archery at that point. Um, you know, the owner there, David Cowden, I'd give him a lot of credit probably for getting me going in the right direction in archery. Um, just mainly because he had the shop and he had leagues and he kind of steered me in the right direction. Um, also connected there with Nathan Brooks, who, you know, wound up becoming a pretty good friend of mine. Obviously he shoots professional archery at that point. I think he was shooting semi-pro and working his way up to become a pro. So we kind of got connected and he kind of helped me along the way there as well. Um, there were several different people, you know, I could probably talk about through there that helped get me going, but you know, my dad was funding it. My mom and dad, you know, funding the bows and my dad took me to so many local archery tournaments. I think, the first year that I had got introduced to 3D archery, if I remember correctly, I think we shot around 45 local 3D tournaments at spring and summer. So if that tells you anything, like we were, you know, sometimes three weekend if we could fit it in. It was for sure every Saturday, every Sunday once an archery bug hit me. Um, so, you know, biggest mentor would be my dad, you know, when it comes, comes to archery. And, you know, he, back then he shot traditional archery, so he kind of, just got a recurve so he could afford to keep me in bows and arrows and, and keep me going. And I guess now the tables have kind of turned. I keep him in bows and arrows and where he can you know continue to bow hunt. That's awesome, man. 
45 in a, in a summer. That's insane. <laughs> yeah, man, I was, I was eat up with it back then. And, you know, I get out of school and about four o'clock I was at the archery shop shooting my bow um, and shooting until like nine o'clock at night every evening. You know, that's kind of where I probably built the foundation, you know, for shooting in general, just how much time I spent behind a bow at a young age, you know, right there, you know, take 13, 14, 15, 16 years old, just loved everything about archery. You know, I played basketball when I was younger, you know, team sports, but it was just something about competitive archery that, you know, ignited a fire in me and you know, it stuck with me basically my whole life. Yeah, for sure. So um, what's the significant challenge that you faced um, transitioning from, you know, just kind of like getting into it and into um, like the professional ranks of stuff? Oh, a significant challenge for me would have been something I faced early on was, you know, target panic and really not having any idea what target panic was. You know, I, when I first started shooting, you know, we, I didn't use a peep sight. I had a kisser button and I had a single pin on my sight. And, and if the pin went across the dot, I would just punch the trigger and let it, you know, eat. And obviously that's not the way you need to shoot. And that was a challenge, you know, especially there as a young adult coming up, learning how to shoot a shot properly and getting through that. Um, that was one significant challenge that I had. Um, obviously, what, you know, just as an archer, I think all of us have probably battled that stuff from time to time. And you know, even throughout my professional career, I've battled, you know, issues like that, shot anticipation, even shooting a hinge. You know, for me, if I start anticipating my shot with my hinge, you might actually see me shooting a thumb trigger or something. I'll change it up for a little while just to reset the brain, reset what I've got going on. You know, eventually I'll transition back to the hinge and be just fine. Um as far as probably significant for me and professional archery, you know, early on, I would say it was probably, you know, financial because it was, it's expensive to go shoot archery tournaments. I think my rookie year, I made it to six tournaments, um, you know, obviously with no sponsors, no monetary sponsors anyhow. So that, that was challenging. It took a couple of years to overcome that, you know, and then once I started getting sponsors and getting the support you know, behind me, you know, my career kind of took off and I, and I got going, but, you know, it, it can be a financial strain on a rookie or a newcomer into the sport trying to, trying to advance and, and find that success. Yeah, for sure. So with target panic, if someone has a little bit of TP, what would you tell them to do? And I would probably see what they are actually battling. Cause you know, I guess there's so many different versions of that. Are they just punching the trigger are they locking up low? You know, just kind of see what's going on, you know, with their shot process. If they're locking up low, I'd probably tell them to work on aiming drills and maybe put a back tension in their hands that it won't even fire. It's something they can just kind of work through movement um, and just aim. Just hold the bow and aim. Make sure you can get the pin in the bullseye and let your mind get used to your pin being in the middle, you know, floating over the dot. Um once your mind gets comfortable and accepts that, then it comes a lot easier to execute that shot while you're aiming and actually going to fire that arrow. Um, if they're punching the trigger, um, a couple different things, you know, obviously put them in a hinge, kind of teach them how to work through it. Um, set their trigger where it's stiff to where that maybe they can't punch the trigger. Um, they can wrap their finger up on it, squeeze, kind of pull through it. 
you know, today you see a lot of people shooting, you know, I guess a punch style shot. So I'm not saying that it can't be done, but you got to be able to aim the bow. You know, that's something uh, you know, Gillingham, he punches, been successful throughout his whole career, but he aims that bow before he punches it. Kyle Douglas, he aims his bow before he, he shoots that command shot. And I don't know if you shoot command, I can't remember if you do or not, but, you know, I know there's a yeah, lot of younger guys are coming up coming up shooting that command style shot and man they have a lot of success with it um shoot look at what jimmy lutz has done and punching and man what he does on the back end sometimes you're like how did that hit the middle but he's holding that bow really still he's aiming that bow before he decides to execute that shot and that's probably more one of the more important parts of shooting a bow is how well you can aim it yeah i i think um i would have to agree with that because um, if it depends on the middle and you punch it, you know, you're not going to obviously hit the middle. So, but, yeah. um, yeah, as far as the financial stress, um, let's say someone is going to tournaments and, uh, they don't have like a monetary sponsor yet. Um, what advice would you give them to basically just, um, show up for that? So, what I started to do is I started contacting local businesses and reaching out to see, you know, Hey, you know, I'm shooting archery professionally. You know, this is how much it costs per event for me to get there. You know, would you be willing to sponsor me say for one tournament? And I was able to pick up, you know, a few sponsors that way, you know, locally that really helped me out. You know, that funded a few tournaments. I could afford to go to a few on my own. Um, you know, I got to where, you know, the owner of Jelco Outdoors sponsored me there for a few years. He helped me pick up my entry fees to get me going. So don't be afraid to reach out to local businesses to see if they can help. You know, a lot of times, you know, they'd be willing to help you out. Um, you could do some fundraisers or anything to kind of generate, you know, a little bit of extra cash to get you going. Um, and then, you know, if you start having success, you know, the sponsors, you know, most of the time, they, they'll come to you. Very nice. So um, tell us a little bit about your uh, 2023 season. 2023 season. So, man, I started off making the shoot off at Lancaster. Um, you know, I think I was seated in the seventh position going into that. If I remember correctly, sixth or seventh position. You only know, take the top eight. You know, shot really well, you know, through qualifying. I shot you know, 654. Um, had a couple of arrows at got away, but, you know, they stayed in the Big Ten anyhow. So I was, you know, very happy with that performance. I'm um, going you know, the next day, you know, from qualifying, you going to head-to-head matches. And, you know, I had a pretty tough bracket. I had uh, Nick Cappers right out of the gate. You know, he'd won Lancaster. Um, I think we tied. I think we both dropped one, and I won the closest to center shoot-off there. And then my next up was Mike Schlosser. So, you know, you got him. It's always going to be a – a challenge you feel like you can't miss and i had dropped one early and then we go all the way down mikey missed his last arrow so we had to go to closest to center there and you know i bested mikey on that one closest to center and then i had brandon reyes you know, for my last match to make it into the finals and luckily shot really well there you know those few ends and, and won that match made it to the finals and you know, so that was the start of the season i'll go out to vegas i shoot a 899 i missed one on the first day I was pounding too right out of the gate, man. I was clean. I think through five or six ends, hadn't dropped an X. And then I missed one. And then I think it was the next end. I fired one a little bit high. And looking back, you know, kind of analyzing that, it lost a little bit of tension on the back end. And 
hit right at the top. If I'd have broke dead center, I think it would have caught, but I broke kind of top side of the X, top of the tin ring, and just barely missed it. So eight ninety nine at Vegas wasn't bad, and then man, three D was a struggle for me. Their first few tournaments. Um, Just couldn't get anything rolling. It wasn't like I was shooting bad or judging bad. Just wasn't able to put the scores together that you know you need in the open pro division to to make the shoot offs. Um, so I was battling my straddles thirty six. Just aiming wise, just couldn't get it to you know fit me the way that I felt like I needed it to. It was mainly just a comfort thing, and I think in Louisiana, ASA Louisiana, you know I struggled that weekend. Shot two or four up. Didn't shoot bad, like stayed all around the 12 ring, just couldn't catch the rings. So that Sunday when I got home, I had a 40 here. I had a you know SVX conversion kit to throw on it from the HBT. Set that thing up, and man, instantly it just fit like a glove. And come out here in the backyard, shoot it, you know, and it just aims like a dream. Group awesome. So that's the bow I ran the rest of the year. And you know, I think the next tournament was the first leg of the IBO. Made the shoot off air, finished fifth with it, and then you know moved on to ASA Kentucky. Um, shot two solid rounds there. I think I went in the shoot off, sitting in third. Came out of that one in second place with that forty. So two tournaments in, I've got a fifth and a second, and then second leg of the IBO. Um, get up there, I did crack a limb up there, um, but I'd like to go and shoot that bow anyhow. It, it has a, just a little feather on it. And man, still made the shoot off up there. So, you know, the 40 was rolling for me. Um, I think I finished fifth in that one. ASA Illinois, you know, I, we started off first day. I think I shot 10 up. I was sitting seventh or eighth place, sitting in a really good position to make a run. And the second day we were five or six targets in. I hadn't hit a 12 ring. So, well, it's, it's time to get with it. I need to be aggressive here. Made a very bad decision on a links that was, was very 12-able, but and I shot it for a, a lot number and aimed at the lower and shot a stinking five, just you know, that far underneath the the 12. So that kind of knocked me out of it. Got pretty aggressive after that, just never could get back into it. Then I took uh same bow to the third leg of the IBO, finished third place there, had a really good round for that tournament. I think I finished fourth for the triple crown. ASA Classic, man, that was just a, when are we going to shoot tournament? You know, you remember how it was. Oh, man. Uh, sat, <laughs> sat around in an Airbnb like all day, wondering if we're ever going to shoot. Um, I did make yeah. a change for that tournament. I shot 23s out there instead of 25s. 25 is pretty much what I'd been shooting all season. And shot good the first day, shot 10 up, had myself in contention, I think, in the second group. Shooting good the second day. Uh Got down to a really close Blesbach. Twenty, I thought it was twenty-five yards. Apparently, it was twenty-seven yards. I shot at the lower with that number and shot an eight. And I remember telling my group, "I said that eight may haunt me by the end of the day." And we get going down through there. I pick up a few twelves. Find myself knocking on the leaderboard to get back in the shoot off. And I think I had three targets left. And I was like, "Okay, I got to hit all three of them to have a chance." And 12 the first one. The second one was an arrow call. I mean, it was so close. Um, you know, the group called it out, you know, looking at it. I, I, I agree with them. You know, it was just barely, barely out. And then I 12 the last target. And I think I missed the shoot off by four points. So you look back on that and that eight on the Blesbach wound up costing me the shoot off. You know, and really the first day, too, on that tournament, um, I shot an eight 
really two eights with the right yardage. Mm. And that hurts, man. You can't give up points when you, you know, no. especially when you're judging yardage. Yeah. You can't give up you can't give up points knowing how far targets are when you shoot them with the right yardage. You gotta stay clean on that. Yeah, I feel that. Um personally I I think I was sixth at the classic, um, just out. Mm. Um and I wasn't Been there the second day. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. Um but yeah, it, it sucks, but you know, it just goes to show you, you just gotta learn something from it and um just make sure you're prepared to make the shoot off, I guess, um, from the get go. Yeah. So yeah, anyway. Absolutely. That's something I try to learn learn something from every tournament, even if it's a failure or a successful tournament, you have to learn and learn how to improve from that. You know, sometimes being that first man out, man, you can go back and you'll analyze every shot and you'll know where it cost you making that shoot off. Yeah. I mean, every single shot, even if it was like a 10 or something, you know, you could learn from that, you know, so, and that could ultimately cause you to, to have better performance at your next competition. But, um, absolutely. Yeah. So over the years, judging the yardage, man, that's one thing. You know, not to get off topic or anything, but I've learned from notes, you know, taking notes, certain targets just straight up fool me about the same all the time. The blessing. You know, I've learned from that I mean, that thing years. is huge. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. I'm surprised that I shot him low because normally I overjudge that target, you know, judging yardage, and I shoot him high a bunch. Um, so that, that kind of surprised me when I shot an eight low on him that day. But, you know, just over the years, you know, talking about stuff that you learn, you know, from tournaments and just practice and notes is like for me, the Havelina. I have to add three yards to that target every time I shoot it. It doesn't matter. Only time I don't add three yards is I'm shooting him for 50. But, you know, if he looks 45, I better shoot him for 48. And nine times out of 10, I do that, add three yards, aim at the lower. I'll hit the lower, hit right behind the pin. It's just a perception thing with that target. I'm not sure why I see it that way. You know, but I add three yards and I'll be there every time. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's so small. Like I feel like like I, I haven't judged much. Like um I have yeah. a little bit, like just at local stuff and it's it's freaking difficult. But um like would you say that the ground, like how high the target is, has anything to do with um how you judge it, like and how much ground you do see? Yeah, I feel like how much ground you do see has a, a big effect on that. Because if you see a lot of ground going to a target, automatically in your mind you're you know it's you're thinking it's farther than what it actually is. Um, I mainly go off target size. You know, I've got all the targets, and I you know, try to go mainly off target size and that perception of each target. You know, but I, I'll study a whole lane. You know, I look at the trees, I look at the ground, kind of analyze the whole lane and break it down. To come up with the yardage to shoot it for. Um, most of the time, though, I shoot it for my you know, first look. You know, if I look down there and think, you know, he's 47 yards, nine times out of 10, I set my sight on 41, unless there's just something that's tricking me and say maybe I'm the third shooter in the group and both guys have hit it low. You know, obviously maybe I'm missing something, so then I'll kind of reanalyze it or, you know, maybe give it an extra yard just to be on the safe side and not make a mistake. And a lot of times just adding that extra yard keeps you in the 10 ring. 
Wow. So if someone is, um, let's say they're in like one of the open classes um, or the judging classes rather, and uh, they're having problems with judging yardage and let's say they have a few targets, like maybe two to five targets, uh, what advice would you give them on like increasing their judging game? Like would you just tell them to get more targets or just get really good at the targets they own? I mean, you can do a lot with five targets. Uh, obviously, get really good with those targets, but you know, move them around a bunch. You know, change it up. You know, if you have a little bit of land that you can move them around, you know, move them around a bunch, different settings, different you know lightings, you know, situations, and just practice as much as you can. That's kind of how I got started. You know, back in 2016, is I think I bought seven or eight targets, and that's all I had. I put them out on my wife's family's land and, you know, I just moved them around. I just practiced on those targets. You can learn a lot just from that. And then, you know, if that's all the targets that you have on other targets, just try to minimize your mistakes and, you know, the open division, same thing in known, but, you know, obviously in open, we're not having to hit near as many rings as you guys do, but don't make any mistakes. Don't give up points. Just learn, learn course management off of those, you know, five, six targets that you have to practice on. Yeah. So, um, what's your worst targets? Avelina and Wolverine, I would say, would be my worst targets. And ASA, now you go over to the IBO, Avelina can still be a nightmare. You know, I, I'll still do the judge to add three there, but that stinking alligator, man, he's been a thorn in my side. I think I've about got him figured out now, but man, over the years, I have. He looks 44 yards to me all the time. Like, I don't know why. We, we rarely ever shoot him under 40, but <laughs> I've shot him for 44 yards. I don't know how many tournaments and shot a five low on him Yeah, several times. So just can always kind of underjudge him. You know, it, and it's hard to put 50 yards on an alligator when you're shooting at something that's, you know, that low to the ground. And, you know, it's not very, not a very tall target at all. You could miss it real easy. And it's just, sure. and it's deceptive. I can imagine, man. So it sounds like the targets that are small or just super close to the ground, you seem to underjudge them. I seem to, I seem to underjudge those. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So do you just add three on the Wolverine too? You know, most of the time, I'll add two to the Wolverine. Okay. Uh, just kind of standard, you know, unless it's it, – with him, I don't struggle too bad with him under 35 yards. You know, he starts getting out 35 to, you know, heck, 35 to 49, I'll underjudge him. How many times I've shot eights on him? You know, shooting him for 48 and, you know, hit an eighth of an inch under a 12 or 49 would have just pounded the middle out of it. Right. So with your um, your mental game, do you do anything like unique to yourself or just um, do you have any like ideas for what you do to improve your mental game? And for mental game, you know, confidence is key, you know, in your mental game. Believing in yourself is probably, to me, one of the most important parts of your mental game. You've got to believe that you can compete. You've got to believe that you can beat everybody on that range. Um, if you don't believe that, then 
you might not find as much success. Um, that was a turning point for me in about 2009. You know, I'd been shooting pro for a few years, had a little bit of success, but nothing that really stood out, make a shoot off here and there. And in 2009, I really started pounding it in my head. I'm as good as anybody on this range. I can beat anybody on this range. And then once I started believing that and believing in myself, I started seeing more success, started being at the top more, I was competing you know, against Levi Morgan, you know, beating Levi, beating Dan, hanging with those guys at tournaments, you know, two of the best that you know, played the unknown 3D game. And, you know, probably before that, I think I had some doubt that, you know, might not be able to hang with these guys. And once I changed my mindset, hey, I, I can beat all these guys. I'm as good as they are. I'm as talented as they are. And things turned around. So you got to believe in yourself, number one, um, and have that confidence to step out there and step on the line. And you know, whether it's indoors or outdoors and believe that you can beat literally anybody in that building or on that 3D range. Yeah, that's that's huge. Is there anything else you'd like yeah. to add to your mental game? Um, on the middle game, I, would, I think just get used to being uncomfortable. Um, you know, that's the biggest thing. You're going to find yourself in pressure situations as you're shooting competitive archery. And you know, just get comfortable being uncomfortable. You know, that's man, I don't know. Being in a shoot off is a good thing. So, really, why should you be nervous? You know, that's one thing I tell myself a lot. Shouldn't be any anxiety once you get into a shoot off or nerves or pressure. That's success. You've made it. You're there. It's a good thing that you're there. So why are you nervous about it? You shouldn't be nervous about positive things. So that's one thing that I tell myself a lot, you know, to, to help keep the nerves at bay and and to keep my mindset good when it when it counts. Wow. That's that's perfect, man. Um, I feel like a lot of people are going to benefit from that. So yeah, yeah. I, I hope so, man. There's so many different takes on mental games and and what you can do. And, you know, just yeah, confidence thing those, is key. Confidence is key. Yeah. So, what were we saying? Oh, go ahead. Oh, I don't. I don't have anything. But um, anyway, we'll go to our next question. Um, so with providing a good shop experience i know that you are partnered with the bow shop so how do you balance um providing a good experience to your customers that come into the shop as well as uh balancing your professional career i think those two kind of go hand in hand you know as a successful you know professional shooter people when they come in to see you at the store, I feel like they already know that, you know, I guess I'm trying to exactly how to say this. They know that you're a knowledgeable person that you can help them out, you know, and assist them with what they have going on. So I try to utilize what I've learned over the years, shooting professionally and, you know, being around some of the best techs, the best shooters, you know, just everything that I've learned. And I try to make that accessible to every customer that comes in, you know, to the store. Um, you know, I feel like, Got a lot of knowledge about tuning setups, you know, hunting setups, just all of that. And you just want to kind of be an open book to your customers, you know, provide all that to them. You know, I don't keep any tricks or secrets to myself. You know, I'll, I'll share it with them and try to help them out and help them become better archers. Um, so, you know, I, I try to utilize that for, you know, the customer service end of it. Uh, the biggest thing for shops 
you know, you're getting customers coming into the store, you know, and you're busy, just acknowledge that the customer is there. Just, hey, man, how's it going? We'll be with you in just a minute. That goes a long way with customers. You know, if nobody speaks up and speaks to that customer, they may not feel welcome in your shop. So that's one thing yeah. just as an employee of a shop, you know, make sure you're acknowledging the customers. Most of them will be understanding if you're really busy at that point in time. So let's make sure you acknowledge the customers and, you know, be as friendly as you can and then you know, just help them out, hear their needs, see what they need. It may just be strings of cables. Bows may need to be timed. It may need to be tuned. You know, there's a, a lot of different things and scenarios that shop faces, you know, a, a shop employee faces or Botech faces. Yeah, for sure. I, I have been in that situation. Um, I've walked in a few shops before and um, especially shops that have a lot of different departments. They're like really big shops, you know, like they're an outfitter. Uh, sporting goods store um, it, you'll find that um, it it might be challenging to acknowledge a customer um, but definitely yeah. trying to build that relationship as soon as someone yeah. walks in like I feel like as soon as someone walks in that person needs to be acknowledged and yeah you like, need to acknowledge them yeah. yeah you know and during our busy season we've got an older gentleman um, he's worked at a sporting goods store out in Oklahoma City and been around archery his whole life and he's kind of a retired guy. Mainly we bring him in just for that, just so on busy days. Literally. Yeah. He can he can work work the sales floor. He can go through and talk to the customers, you know, acknowledge them and you know, see if there's anything that he can help them with, you know, and, and help them out until you know one of the techs can step in, you know, to help out and take over. And that that goes a, a long ways with people. Yeah. I I agree. We actually um Holmes Sporting Goods is um, a shop that's in my hometown, and we have a couple a couple older guys that do that. We have um, the owner, of course. Um, he's always sitting in a rocking chair, like as soon as you walk in. And then there's <laughs> another guy that's um, he's mostly um, like a gun tech, and he just comes yeah. in and helps out. But yeah, so that's awesome, man. Um, yeah. As far as um, your bow setup and how you get your bow like out of the box and then tuned and then pounding and ready to start scoring, what's your process that you go through to do that? And that could be a, a, a lengthy process really? just depending on how the bow reacts and sets up. You, you kind of know what it is. I mean, it, nothing really special. Um, you know, shoot for gas bow strings. So the first thing I do when I get one in, I change out the strings and cables, you know, from the factory strings, put a set of gas on there. Um, and then I will get, just put a loop on it, you know, put it in the draw board, get it timed, kind of see where the draw length is, is measured out at. Kind of go ahead and adjust all that and get that ready to start with. Um, then I will take it, put it in the bow vise, and kind of set my knocking point where I'd like my arrow to kind of run through the burger hole and set that height, you know, Obviously, of what arrow I'm going to be running as well. Um, get that set, set the center shot um, on my bows with my Hoyts. I always start out at 13 16 with tuning for them. Um, and then after I get my knocking point set, you know, my serving balls tied in, you know, I will put a new D loop on it. I use a mic to make sure that I get the exact D loop that I'm looking for. Um, I think I run like a one point one five loop i think on everything that i shoot um on this especially on the strato setup and 
after that, I'll you know set the side up, level the side, get it going first, second, third axis, and then I'll put stabilizers on. I kind of after shooting for so many years, I know about what I'm looking for overall mass weight on a bow, and kind of know what I'm looking for stabilizer wise as far as the weights on it goes. So I'll have a rough starting point, normally around eight ounces on the front of a 30 inch bar and then 16 to 20 ounces on the back of a 12 inch back bar. And that, that's where I start out at on the setup. Obviously, you know, that can change day to day. It can also change, you know, once you get outside and get to shooting that bow, but that's kind of my initial setup there. Um, once I get that done, I'll go out and start shooting it outside and see if I need to fine tune the draw length any, you know, I might, depending on the bow, you know, I'll be anywhere from 29 and a half to 29 and five eighths on draw length just to, for comfort and overall fit. Um, if it's a 3D bow, I will finalize my peep height. At, I normally do that at 45 yards. I'm set it where I'm really comfortable at 45. You know, obviously at 20, it'll feel a little bit low, but you know, it's really comfortable from you know, what for our average yardage is what we shoot on a 3D circuit. Um, so I set everything at 45 there. Um, you know, I'll paper tune and then I torque tune as well. I normally do that after I get my peapot set and get everything, the stabilizers positioned where I want them, where the bow is aiming good, and I'll go back and kind of paper tune and then, you know, fine tune the torque tune after that as well. Yeah. So that's the yeah. lengthy process. This may go, so. Yeah, and this may go over the course of a couple of days too. I mean, I'm not going to say that it, it's something I set up and I'm 100% ready to go in an hour, hour and a half on a target setup. Um, like I said, it'll, it'll normally go a couple of days working on it and fine-tuning it. Yeah. Torque tuning I can, can be a that. little bit time-consuming. Yeah, and, you know, um, 100%. I've experimented a lot over the years with different stabilizer setups, just trying heavy weight out front. You know, that's never worked for me. I I just... Maybe it's because I started off years ago shooting a lot set up and a lot you know, front weight and just never have shot a real heavy setup. And I don't know, for me, uh, eight ounces on the front of a 30-inch bar seems to be about perfect. You know, I think I saw you were playing in the setup. You had a 17 ounces on the front, maybe? Yeah, that's, that's a lot like for that. me, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. I would attest to, um, like if I go back and look at my average weight up front on a 30 inch bar, um, over my entire archery career, um, seven to nine ounces, eight's definitely yeah. been a favorite for me as well. Um, I've shot yeah. weights most of my career, but, um, yeah, I, I can attest to that. So. What are you, so what are you finding that you're seeing with heavier weight out front? You've got to have, holding weight to hold that weight up and you've got to pull yep. got to have your shoulders and your back like in a really good position um and yep. you, like for me you just really got to understand like like how like your back really works and how to stay in it you know because that's if you are running a lot of holding weight um it's very easy to creep if you're not careful on some yep. shots you know that's so, something you know over the years and there's been very few tournaments that I've ever shot with probably less than I'd say at least 18 pounds holding weight. You know, I've always shot 18 to say 21 pounds holding weight. Yeah. And that's what I've always shot the best. 
Um, I think when I was shooting the Matthews there, uh, one year in Foley, I shot 80% mods. I was holding about 14 pounds, made the shoot off there with it. And it, it aimed really good, but I don't know. I just, I, I like a bow with more holding weight. And I feel like it does tighten up my aim. And to me, it's more forgiving. Yeah, um, I would like to tap into that. Um, with my experience on holding weight, um, at the Classic, I shot a 75% position on the Stratus, and I had probably 15 pounds of holding weight, something like that. And like out of the gate on the first day, I was shooting really well, but on some shots, I would relax too much or I'd be too tight, and it's like my pin would do this. It'd just float up and down. Yeah. I couldn't really control it. And when you have holding weights, yeah. like it just kind of buzzes yeah. around what you're to aiming. Me, it at. covers the middle a lot, a lot better. Oh yeah, doesn't doesn't so, doesn't float around as much. Yeah, it's just like like that with no yeah. holding weight. But so um, the forgiveness factor. What do you think um, about the forgiveness factor with holding weight? And for me, it's way more forgiving with holding weight. I feel like I get less lefts and rights. I feel like my shot overall just feels so much smoother and so much better executed with more holding weight versus a light holding weight. Um, I pull pretty hard on my you know, release handle through the shot, through the execution. I think it's maybe one reason I like the, the holding weight being higher. Um, you know, there's a lot of people like, I want to say Jacob Marlowe shoots 11, 12 pounds, something like that but he just kind of sits still on the shot and just relaxes his hand till it goes off. I mean, he's had a ton of success with it and shoots it great, but it's just, it just shows you people are so much different. You know, I'm shooting 20 pounds and pulling on the handle pretty hard and he's shooting 11, 12 pounds. Just yeah. Sits real still and relaxes till it goes off. Yeah. His hand is like extremely yeah. relaxed, but I mean, he's, he's yeah. one heck of a shot. So. Yeah. Just, Holds it dead still. Yeah. So, um, when you're getting a, um, like your sight tape dialed in, what's your process with that? So, I will, I use Archer's Advantage to get my sight tapes. Um, so, I'll take all the measurements there, you know, your peep to scope, your arrow to, you know, peep at full draw. Um, enter in all the specifics of your arrow, your bow specs, all of that. And then I'll you know, shoot through the chronograph. I use a pro chrono since that's what ASA uses. So I know I'm really close on the speed that their chronograph will read. Enter all that in and you know it generates a few different sight tapes. And I will I use a laser engraved sight tape on about everything. So I'll you know kind of find the one that matches up you know with those tapes and put it on and then I'll shoot it in as well, you know, from, you know, 20, say all the way back to about 60 yards. I really don't ever shoot past 60 because nothing that I'm competing in or we shooting, you know, really over 51, 52 yards. Uh, double check it and, you know, see if that laser engraved tape matches up, you know, by shooting the marks in. If it doesn't, I'll get the Gunstar sight tapes. And I think they've got one for like every foot per second. And then, you know, I'll, find one, you know, they stick it on there and then same thing, just shoot it in until I get them where, you know, I'm hitting the middle from 20 all the way back to 60. Awesome, man. Yeah. Those gun start tapes, especially for people that have like a really slow setup, like younger people yeah. or just, you know, like women or 
people with a really short draw length like that that helps you can get side tips that are like this long Yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> Makes a big difference. for sure so um is there any advice that you would have for someone that's looking to possibly shoot professionally one day in archery Any advice? Um, be patient with archery as you know, you're moving kind of through your career and moving through the ranks. Um, I would say win your way out, win your way up, you know, through the ranks, through your divisions and enjoy it. Um, that way you're learning, you know, how to win, learning how to handle different situations. Um, a couple of years ago, a few years ago, I probably thought a little bit different on that. You know, I jumped from young adult into semi-pro and then you know, was in semi-pro for a couple of years until I was able to shoot a full circuit and then moved into pro. Um, I think I missed out on some stuff by doing that. You know, I missed out on you know, winning some tournaments, winning some titles, learning some situations to be in. And I think that experience could have benefited me more moving into being a professional. Um, you know, at ASA, obviously, you know, if you go out and you shoot a big score on day one, you know, they post scores and stuff. So, you know, you've got the lead, maybe. You got to sleep, get a good night's sleep, knowing you had the lead for a tournament and be able to go out and perform next day and handle it. So I think just experiences like that you can learn from by taking your time and enjoying the process to move you know, through the different divisions You know, to eventually become a professional. Yeah, that's, that's huge, man. Um, I remember, um, in my shoes, I, I asked someone a similar question like that and, um, I never shot ASA before. Um, like the national circuit just shot like state level stuff and, um, Yeah. yeah, the same, same, same thing. Just start, um, around like your entry level classes and just work your way up. You know, So. some of that could depend on situation and, you know, maybe your age. Cause you know, if we got a guy that's say around 30 years old, he's wanting to be, become a pro shooter. He probably ought to try to move a little faster on that pace. And as far as trying to achieve that goal, um, Yes. how to start semi pro or if he could afford it, man, he, he can t handle the hits and you know the, the struggles that might come with jumping into pro Try it out. I'd probably say start in semi-pro or K50 and you know shoot there and then try to move up, you know, into the pro division within the next couple of years. Uh, if you're a younger guy coming, say out a young adult, you know, work up through the ranks, you know, and learn learn that process. Because it'll benefit That's huge, you in the man. long run. Yeah, I like I like that because some people, you know, like, what's your opinion of how long a pro career should be as far as like age age ranges? Well, you know, I, I've I just recently turned 41 this year, and you know I've had people kind of make comments to me about you know oh man you're 40 your career is probably about over. Um, then you look at you know say Joseph Goza this past year you know he won a tournament and I think he's 43 44 he's a couple years older than me. Um, you look at the career that Gillingham has had you know and the success he had even you know through men's pro even up his into his upper 40s before he turned senior. Um, I, I don't know if there's a time frame that you can really put on it being a professional archer. Um, obviously, for say somebody my age, I would say 45 is probably a number that age wise that you can look at. You may decline a little bit just 
battling eyesight for one. Um, you know, that's one thing I haven't experienced it yet, but you know, I'm sure that's coming at some point. Uh, so you're going to have to learn how to adapt your setups and adapt maybe to the changing situations as you get a little bit older and you got to keep your shoulders healthy. So you know, for me, I think I have found the most success in my career in my late thirties and in my early forties here, you know, versus whenever I was in my early twenties or mid twenties trying to compete. Of course, I'm, I'm a little bit more settled in life, I would say as a whole, especially the last 10 years. Um, so I don't know. For a guy like me, I'd say if your shoulders are healthy and you can still see, you shoot all the way to your senior. Yeah, that, that has something to do with it. So with your shoulder health, is there anything that you would like um advise for people like just keeping them healthy? Yeah, keep or exercise your shoulders. If you're a younger guy coming up, you know, exercise your shoulders. Don't pull a high poundage. Don't get into shooting a lot of heavy weight. That's one thing that I, you know, did early on. You know, shooting seventy pounds on about everything. I've come off at the last few years. You know, outside I shoot about sixty-five pounds. Um, you you hurt your shoulder, your career can be over. I mean, you know that. You get a rotator cuff tear, and you may not be able to, you know, pull a bow anymore. So, very important to take care of your shoulders. You know. I've had to go see a massage therapist over the years. I've had to get you know some injections in my shoulders, you know, from shooting. And of course, you know, I've been shooting a lot of arrows since I was a teenager. So just wear and tear, but stay off high poundage. If you 60 pounds, do about anything you want it to do competition wise, you know, uh, 65, maybe for 3D, 60 pounds, you know, indoors or less. And try not to ever go over that. Wow, that's good advice. So, yeah, it, uh, I've seen a lot of older guys, you know, get up in their 40s and 50s, shoulders start really bothering them. Yeah, 100%. So, something else to think about too is draw length. And draw length can, you know, hurt, hurt somebody's shoulder, especially if somebody shoot too short. Um, I felt like I shot too short a draw length probably for, a good part of my career, I just you know, kind of always shot around 28 and a half inches and I kind of shot an op real open across my body. So my form was, you know, it looked okay, but, you know, essentially I was running too short and that led to, you know, a left, a left shoulder injury. Um, wound up having to get some injections in that shoulder. And, you know, probably to date, that's still the one shoulder that would give me some trouble if I have any trouble with my shoulder. Um, I think it was in 2018, me and Jack Wallace, we were shooting. And I got to ask him about his draw length. And you know, I think he's shooting right at 30 inches. Man, he's a couple inches shorter than I am. So I was like, man, if he's shooting that draw length, what, what am I doing shooting this? Uh, that summer, I let out, I think, from the second leg of the IBO to the third leg of the IBO, I let my draw length down an inch and an eighth. And once I got to an inch and an eighth, I think I got back-to-back -back seconds. I got second at the third leg of the IBO, and I got second at the ASA Classic. And from that point on, man, my shooting you know, was probably got more consistent as a whole, and the shoulder issues went away. So, Wow. Yeah, it was a huge change to make, but it was definitely for the better. That, that's huge. So 
if if you change your draw length like a whole inch and an eighth like that, um, like how do you make sure that you're really comfortable with that? So I bought Donnie Thacker had the sweet spot. I think he just launched it maybe that year. So I bought that and I put it on the bow and I kept letting my draw length out to where I held the most consistent according to, you know, that sweet spot gauge. And what I was doing a lot with the shorter draw length was losing tension during the shot. And he actually almost felt like you were pulling hard, nothing was happening, but I was actually leaking tension through the shot and tension, I guess was loading up in the handle. Felt like I was pulling, but I wasn't. So that sweet spot really told off on how much tension I was losing while I was aiming. And the longer I went in draw length, the more consistent that that got. And when I got a 10 inch and an eight, like I was really consistent and maintaining the same tension throughout the whole entire shot. Um, when I got past an inch and an eight, you know, I got to where I was kind of losing tension again and just inconsistent. Might hold it pretty consistent for two or three shots and I would lose tension again. But that inch and an eighth mark, according to that sweet spot for me was like, spot on where I needed to be with that setup of that, that particular year. I gotcha. So did you have to like change your hips or like your stance any with that? Yeah, I did, you know, kind of rotate my hips a little bit and my shoulders to get a little more square. Obviously I'm not shooting as, you know, across my body as I once was. Um, but it, it didn't take long at first. It's like, man, I feel like I'm stretched way out, but you know, after shooting it and, I'm seeing the success that I had with it is just something that I got used to. And now, and if I grab a bow that's 28 and a half inch drawing now and pull it back, I'm like, how did I ever do that? Right. Like, it's insane. I have no idea how I did that. I feel that. Yeah. I, I used to shoot, I've shot too long and too short. And um, if I go like anywhere that's not where I'm currently shooting, it just feels really weird. But yeah. So that's yeah. that's really good advice for people, um, especially if you you feel like your shoulders are kind of like crammed a little bit, you know, yeah. or you're starting to feel a lot of like um, pain there. Just try lengthening your draw length out and just keep yeah. them nice and low. Yeah, and, you know, all these bows now, you know, they have quarter inch adjustments on them. So let it out yeah. a quarter at a time you know, until you feel the most comfortable. For sure. So, Chris, where can people follow you for more content from you? Um, Instagram, I think handle is Hacker 16 You can follow me on there. And then uh, Facebook page, I have athlete page, you know, Chris Hacker on there. Um, get on there, follow that. You know, I maxed out on friends on my regular Facebook page, so can't accept any more requests. But um, working on Instagram there and then, you know, Facebook. And I do have a TikTok. Don't do much on there. Probably need to get involved more on that. You know, and uh, possibly going to kick out some stuff on YouTube. Just haven't got everything finalized on that as of now, but that's in the plans to get stuff going where I can do do some more videos. You know, maybe when I'm doing a bow build or a setup and show my processes and share with people because there's so many different ways to do things and everybody seems to do things a little different. But you know, if I can start sharing that knowledge that I have with more people and help them out, you know, I'd love to do it. So that's, that's something we're working on. Absolutely, man. Yeah. Like one thing that like threw me off earlier was like use a micrometer for your D loop. Yeah. Yeah. So like 
an actual like the c-shaped thing yeah. with the dial it's a, you got a dial and you know the clamp you can adjust it and measure so yeah. like is it a you're not talking about it's digital okay okay well, yeah, I call it, yeah yeah, yeah. I, I i'm i'm like same thing you use to set your center shot yeah exactly okay so yeah. uh, i'm sure the guys that listen to this that are like machinists they're like that's a dial caliper not a micrometer because they're like two completely different things <laughs> anyway i call it a mic <laughs> a mic yeah same thing but yeah. I, I feel you on that so but yeah. all right um it was a pleasure and um yeah. i definitely would like to have you on in the future and um oh, yeah if you, if you want to get some youtube content out um do it the world needs to see what you do and um i'm sure i would watch it myself i'd be like what's chris doing what's his little secrets you know so yeah i remember we, yeah. we talked about knock fit you know earlier in the year you know, yeah. at a tournament we got to discussing that and i think you were like, i had found really thin helped, helped you out yeah yeah and then the under knot yeah i i did i did yeah. run it um i haven't tied any center ties on my setup yet so um but yeah i definitely i definitely need to do some testing myself too so yeah yeah. Oh, yeah okay that's a part of good part of archery always testing yeah it's always fun but um do you have any other comments for the audience i mean Anybody has any questions, feel free to reach out to me. I'm always here to help. You'll send me a message on Facebook, send me a message on Instagram. I'll be glad to help you out. Especially if you're struggling with anything, feel free to ask. Awesome. This is one of the best guys in the sport for sure. He's so insightful and helpful. Um, he's helped me out personally and um, really thankful for you, Chris. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. No problem, man.